Good morning. My name is Peggy Gates, and in addition to serving as the Sunday School Director, I've worked with our social justice delegations to El Salvador since their inception in 2003. I begin this morning with the words of poet Lucy Grayley. Sometimes the briefest moments capture us, force us to take them in, and demand that we live the rest of our lives in reference to them. Imagine, imagine for a moment you are 15 or 19, 25, 40, 58, or 60. You are eager to travel to El Salvador with a West Global Connections delegation. After spending a couple days in San Salvador, adjusting to the tropical climate and learning about Salvadoran history, you travel with anticipation to the remote village of El Rodeo. You and another delegate meet your host family and begin to settle in. <clears throat> the house is simple, two rooms made of concrete block. Your host family sets you up in one room, furnished with the best of their belongings, while the entire family doubles up in the other. Your host family is sweet and gracious and expresses their concern for your comfort. You feel welcomed and cared for. You are struck by their generosity. They have so little and offer so much. As you unpack and make, your, make up your bed, you remember to roll up your bedding to prevent anything from crawling inside. When you use the latrine for the first time, you can't help but notice a pungent aroma. Exhaustion fills your body. After a full day of activity, you are more than ready to get some shut-eye. At last, you unroll your bedding, give it a good shake, and lie down. Your roommate falls asleep quickly. As you lie awake, you hear the call of the roosters and the sound of something rustling in the rafters. Your heartbeat quickens. The week unfolds each day, a patchwork of new experiences and strong emotions. You are incredulous as you watch a woman climb up a steep footpath with a heavy basket of wet laundry balanced on top of her head. Weep as you listen to your host mother describe the death of her child from a preventable illness. Anger rises in, in, as you register the human cost of extreme poverty. You feel joy as you finally master the art of making tortillas. You are annoyed at the inconvenience of having to walk to the communal pila to bathe then upset with yourself for being annoyed. You are blown away by the competence of the young elected community leaders as they facilitate the community meetings. Each day, a deep, rich experience filled with moments that, you, that demand you to live the rest of your life in reference to them. <clears throat> 
Through the debriefings and reflections, it always comes down to this. Profound gratitude. Gratitude for the opportunity to walk in another's shoes, turning one's own life upside down. The Washington Ethical Society has had a long history of supporting social justice in El Salvador. Our relationship with the Salvadoran struggle began in the 1980s with our support of the Solidarity Movement, then continued with delegations and community development projects. The question always arises, why El Salvador? For some of us, the answer can be found in the brutal Salvadoran civil war from 1980 to 92. The fate of Salvadorans and Washingtonians was bound together as the United States government supported the brutal Salvadoran military regime while Salvadorans sought refuge from the brutality by fleeing to Texas, Los Angeles, and Washington, D.C. Ethical culture principles offer more. Ethical culture is a unique humanistic religious movement in which ethics and relationships are central. Ethical culture embraces, I think, a truly radical faith, a faith inspired by attributing worth and dignity to all people. It is an active faith, continuously tested through our active engagement in imagining a better world and by joining together to move toward that vision. Engaging in this active faith, we experience transformation, expanding our capacities to experience love, act with compassion, and seek justice. When we join together with our Salvadoran sisters and brothers, we embrace the connections which bind us, placing our faith in our relationships and attributing worth and dignity. As we actively engage in moving toward a vision of a better future, we elicit the best in ourselves and others. The very act of attributing worth and dignity to our Salvadoran brothers and sisters allows us to feel the suffering. As we feel the suffering, we experience the transformation from a passive observer to an active participant. Engaging together in the transformational work of creating a more just world is core to ethical culture. How do we do that work? What does ethical culture social justice look like? Ethical culture leader Hugh Taft Morales describes social justice as empowering others and differentiates it from paternalistic charity. He says, ethical culture is not simply a social justice or community service organization. It is a humanistic ethical movement dedicating to inspiring people to do good. In 2009, Inspired to Do Good, Global Connections established a partnership, 
a sister community relationship with the rural village of El Rodeo. To do so, we used the community capacity building model, the model developed by Dr. Richard Ford at Clark University is a people-centered model in which relationships are based upon equality and mutuality. At the heart of the community capacity building model is the assumption that the community, the people in El Rodeo, are the experts. The model uses inclusive participatory processes through which the community itself identifies and prioritizes their needs identifies and mobilizes their own resources, and through which they utilize their partnership with WES to access outside resources as needed. Ethical culture is the why, providing principles to guide us. Community capacity building is the how, the process we use to do the work. We've met so many amazing people through our work with the Salvadoran community. Lila Gonzalez among them. Father Dean, Brack Dean Brackley was an American priest and community organizer from the South Bronx who volunteered to go to San Salvador to take the place of one of the Jesuits assassinated by the Salvadoran military in 1989. He remained in El Salvador, taught at the University of Central America, and worked with campesinos until his death in 2011. Over the years, Father Brackley gave hundreds of introductory historical and social analysis presentations to visiting delegations from North America. He met with the West delegation on two occasions. At the conclusion of each session, he would say some version of the following. Go to the community and let the people ruin your life. He'd challenge us to break our hearts wide open, to shift from a passive observer to an active participant. He dared us to fall in love and allow ourselves to feel the suffering. The people will break your heart, he said, and their hope for a better future will draw you back again and again. Indeed, we have been drawn back again and again. We have been challenged and humbled as educated, privileged, take-charge, problem-solver types, we are used to accessing resources and getting the job done. It takes effort to shift from expert, problem-solver, fixer, to listener, learner, partner. We stumble and falter, and continue to and continue our work together. We embrace the connections which bind us, placing our faith in our relationships. I'll close with the words of Lilla Watson and the Aboriginal Collection Collective. 
If you come to help me, you're wasting your time. But if you have come because your liberation is bound up with mine, then let us work together. That was beautiful, Peggy. Uh, hi, I'm Julie Farrer. Um, I've been working with Global Connections for over three years. Um, and to start, I'd like to thank the members of WES for supporting this amazing journey. We've begun with Global Connections in the community of El Rodeo. In 1977, I was a teenager, much like Peggy described. I went to live in Guatemala for a year with the experiment in international living. I lived with a Kachikal Indian family in a tiny remote village. The experience affected the course of my life so deeply that 35 years plus, maybe, <laughs> later, I'm still committed to working with the people of Central America. I think of that often when I see the West teens having their own transformational experiences on delegations to El Rodeo. Going on a delegation to El Salvador is not particularly easy, but it resonates deeply. As Father Brackley so aptly put it, the experience is like falling in love and having your heart broken at the same time. The warmth and generous spirit of the people, combined with their lack of basic resources, inspires us to give support. The way we do that can open up opportunities and also unexpected consequences. A project we began this past summer did just that. The goal of the project was to create a way for the members of WES and El Rodeo to get to know each other. The process was to record the personal stories of various members of both communities and share them with each other. Simple, right? Not so much. When someone shares the, story, the stories of their lives with you, they're giving you a precious treasure and the responsibility to care for it. As a recorder of historic memories in a population that has lived through the horrors of a brutal civil war, you're sometimes opening places of pain and sorrow that can deeply affect both the teller and the listener. To kick off the project, three Spanish-speaking West members, Mibi Luvelink, Joe London, and Carl Cossack, recorded brief profiles of themselves, and we brought them to El Rodeo. With tiny portable speakers, we played the recordings to the small group of elected leaders in the community, who are also known as the Adesco. Following that, we asked if anyone from El Rodeo might be interested in sharing their stories with the West community. We were thrilled when Filippa, a village elder, now 92 years old, agreed. Manuel, a young community leader with video skills, volunteered to conduct the interviews. The stories spilled out with moments of joy, and sorrow, as Philippa told of her childhood and, of course, the civil war that began in 1980 and devastated the country. Capturing Philippa's story as told to Manuel had a certain poignancy. Philippa was in her 70s, and Manuel just a toddler, when they and many others made the treacherous, death-defying journey to the refugee camps in Honduras. Most of the approximately 130 people of El Rodeo are survivors of the war. As we continued with the interviews, it became clear that the trauma of the war and how they survived it defines much of who they are today. 
Manuel suggested that we interview his father, who joined the guerrillas in 1980 after the military bombed the communities where he and his family lived. Once again, the stories flowed, this time from father to son, describing the struggle of farmers fighting with a few old guns, machetes, and a gritty will to survive against the well-equipped Salvadoran military machine, supported in a large part by millions of U.S. dollars. He showed us his physical scars, but his eyes showed the pain of deep emotional wounds. We could have stopped there, but at lunch, Esperanza and Carolina, who prepared all the delicious meals for our delegation, asked if they could tell their stories, too. So after lunch, we sat beneath the untamed garden of trees shading the patio, watching a frenetic, beautiful dance of butterflies as Esperanza reflected on her life. Now in her 70s, quiet-spoken, strong yet vulnerable, she told her story of her young, to her youngest daughter, Ingrid. The war took her brothers, her uncles, and her cousins. She delivered her first baby in a makeshift bomb shelter while on the run from the scorched earth attacks of the military. When the story became overwhelmingly emotional, Esperanza took off, spoke off camera about the anxiety and depression she still experiences daily, symptoms of PTSD that have stayed with her for over 20 years. <clears throat> the pain has taken a toll on her heart. Esperanza is like a mother to Carolina, who did the last interview. She begins her story in 1980 as a five-year-old girl whose mother had gone on a mission with the rebels and never returned. Carolina grew up in the midst of the war. She tells her story with resolve, sorrow, and pride. Today, she's a loving, hardworking mother of six. She concludes the telling of her life's journey so far with how committed she is to working for the community of El Rodeo. Hers is a story of immense resilience in the face of the unimaginable horrors of war. And yet, that night, after looking back into her difficult past, she awoke with severe stomach pains and had to be rushed to the hospital hours away. A coincidence? Perhaps not. I pass, pero no I pass. There is peace, but there's no peace. These are Carolina's words to describe life in El Salvador today. The Salvadoran people have a lot to be proud of. The military dictatorship was defeated. They have built a democracy, but the emotional wounds of a war that ended 20 years ago still rage within. So here I am, in love with a heavy heart and wanting to help. Can the experience of telling their story to a trusted listener help bring them some inner peace? Can, sharing, can my sharing their stories with you here at West deepen our connection with El Rodeo? Can that connection help heal their wounds? I believe so. Yet in this compassionate state of being, we need to have patience and meet our sisters and brothers in El Rodeo where they are and support them while they take the lead in healing and moving forward. Our model of community capacity building helps us in that process. 
But it is really through the dedicated support and wisdom of members of WES that together we will find the best way to walk with the people of El Rodeo. Thank you. Thank you, Julie. Um, I'm Lola Skolnick, a West member for 28 years, and this is my second trip with um, Global Connections to El Salvador, and I apologize for my voice. At least I have one. If ethical culture's motto is deep before creed and our deed is to do good, what does this mean in the real world? In this case, the real world of El Rodeo in rural El Salvador. Doing good sounds so simple, but in my years of involvement with Global Connections, we as a committee have struggled with how good gets implemented. Are our good deeds building community capacity, or are we creating dependency? Or worse, are we behaving paternalistically? We constantly ask ourselves if something is a priority for the community that they have expressed, or is it just something that we wish for them? Sometimes the answers are simple. Sometimes the decisions are fraught with angst. For example, initially it seemed like a no-brainer to collect donations for school supplies, toys, and clothing for the community and for the school. With the help of generous West members, we collected donations of books, pencils, pens, crayons, notebooks, paper, kids' clothing, adult clothing, toys, stuffed animals, you get the idea. And then those donations were packed into large suitcases weighing 50 pounds apiece and, crate and carted by plane, bus, and truck to rural El Salvador. Mission accomplished. But wait, how do we distribute all this useful stuff? Now doing good gets really complicated. There are 31 households in El Rodeo. Some households consist of multiple families. Some have just one person. Some have a small economic advantage from relatives sending money from abroad. Some barely have roofs over their heads. Some we know well, some we hardly know. So how do we know who needs these donations the most? How do we distribute items fairly and equitably? Who gets the shoes, used shoes, size six, and who gets a new sweater? Would the distribution of the donations appear biased? Would we appear to have favorites? Were we, were we building dependency instead of building capacity? Were we creating problems within the community, jealousies, etc., that didn't exist until we came along? Who knew it would be so hard to do good? With input from community members, we eventually made packets for each household and hoped that everyone would appreciate our good intentions and trade among themselves if the shoes size six didn't fit and the sweater was too small. 
Other ethical dilemmas have also arisen as we have become closer to individuals in the community. How do we respond to direct personal requests for funds to help a person buy life-saving medication or to help someone pay their university fees? It is not a question of funds. We could raise those. In fact, it is tempting to solve problems quickly by supplying money. But you see that where this is headed, right? Paternalism, favoritism, creating dependency, undermining our efforts to build capacity within the community. Sometimes, however, the relationships have created opportunities to truly build capacity. In a series of meetings last year, the community value voted and employment was high on their list of priorities. Global Connections wanted to help with ideas that the community could develop, but one thing was clear to us. Any employment ideas must be sustainable in country. El Rodeo had had a Peace Corps worker some years ago who set up basket weaving cooperatives which provided some income to the weavers. However, the sales plan depended on baskets being imported to the U.S. When the Peace Corps worker left, the basket weaving dissolved. And to this day, residents still feel bitter about this endeavor. So it was with a bit of trepidation that Julie Farrar and I approached several women with the idea of creating a product that would have a local market. We had some ideas and were anxious to see if any of the women would be interested. We know from worldwide evidence that when women make money, the income is most likely to benefit the family, children, and education. Our first meeting exceeded our wildest dreams. Within minutes of preliminary discussion and showing Ingrid, a 21-year-old student, some beaded earrings, she was excitedly making plans to make earrings, to buy beads, to teach other women how to make the earrings, and thinking of local venues where the items could be sold. It turns out she was studying marketing at the university, and had a firm grasp of the concepts needed to make this project and get it up and running. She also intuited that the women would gather strength from such a project and would benefit from the social aspects of making jewelry together. So Ingrid wrote up a proposal for Mariposas de la Libertad, Butterflies of Liberty which was presented to and approved by Viadesco, the town council. Global Connections gave Ingrid $50 seed money to buy some basic supplies. That's all it took. We have high hopes that Ingrid will carry out the plan as some income will result for the community. The potential is there for many to benefit and for more cottage industries to develop from this initial project. Our hope is that our support will enable them to draw on their own resources and encourage independence. So yes, we continue to deepen our connections to El Rodeo's residents, and sometimes these connections pose ethical challenges. However, we hold on to the intention to do good, 
to work with the community to achieve goals that they have set for themselves and to support them in the process. Thank you. Hello, my name is Justin Taft Morales. This was my second trip to El Rodeo, and as with last year, I spent most of my time working at the dental clinic. The clinic was comprised of two plastic chairs, three small electric fans, a small motorized dental unit with a broken suction valve, a few friendly chicken, chickens and dogs, or chuchos, and a table full of tools and supplies. Susan Runner, West member, sat in one chair, relentlessly toiling away at countless patients. Us assistants took, took shifts sterilizing tools, holding the flashlight over the patients, setting up trays and translating dental jargon into Spanish. Shortly after we set up the clinic, we told the community that as a part of our community capacity building model, we would like to incorporate community members in working at the clinic. A friend and elected community leader, Cesar, immediately sparked up with an interest in dental work. We taught him the basics, which he promptly took up and soon usurped my title as Susan's best dental assistant ever. <laughs> a 19-year-old boy with short curly hair and amazingly smooth skin, Cesar has grown to be one of my closest friends. He works on his family's farm, he works on his family's farm or milpa. He wants to be a dancer, and now perhaps a dentist, and, en and enthusiastically involves himself in everything possible. He is gay the only openly gay member of his community, and because of that, he lives a life full of threats and fear. I remember one night I spent with Cesar at the host house of Emma and Elizabeth, two other teen delegates. We had planned on watching a movie, but we got swept away in conversation and ate an entire watermelon over the course of a few hours. We joked as he attempted to repeat English phrases, and we experienced the longest lasting fit of giggles I have ever witnessed. Tears of laughter streamed down our faces as we spat seeds at each other. The next night, he sat down with a few members of the delegation to tell us his story. He told us that twice in the past year, he has been physically attacked. Details aside, his situation is hostile. After hearing this, I wanted more than anything to help, not that I knew, now, not that I knew how. I knew the man that had threatened to take his life. Susan even cleaned his teeth and bandaged a hand that he had injured in a farming accident. But we could not treat him any. But we could not treat him any differently than any other patients. At the end of the trip, Cesar thanked me. I immediately struggled to think why. I escorted him whenever he had to walk at night, but I didn't feel like I was really protecting him. He went on to explain that he wanted to thank me for that one night of laughter. He told me that because of his situation, he hasn't been able to have one normal night in years. He hasn't been able to sit down with friends and enjoy their company. The one time the words thank you affected me the most were for doing something completely ordinary to me. Somehow, I was able to give him one normal night. He and his fellow community members asked me to share their stories. Leaving the community, I was thankful that they asked this of me. I hated the fact that I was leaving Cesar. I hated everything about leaving. But telling their stories has given me faith that what I am a part of, that what I am doing, is actually worthwhile. Although not all of you can come on this trip, 
You, as members of this community, are still a part of this. The relationship we share with the community of El Rodeo is not one just experienced by the delegation, by the delegation, but one that we are all a part of. Imagine yourself donating to the water fund, helping provide this community with potable water for the first time. Imagine yourself writing a letter to the community, voicing your support. Don't worry if you cannot write in Spanish. I will gladly translate it for you. Imagine yourself actually going on the trip next year in early July. Imagine learning more through us, through our various media outlets. Imagine teaching others. Imagine supporting similar groups. Imagine involving yourself in any number of our projects. Imagine really helping create a more just and loving world for all. Thank you.